Hello everyone, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fake TV Critic, a podcast where I discuss the week's biggest TV news headlines, recap and analyze some of my favorite shows, and let you know what you should be watching. It is very balmy here this weekend. Halloween is today, if you are listening to this episode on release day. And then tomorrow, November 1st, starts Christmas in earnest. You know, it's, you know, it's been hanging around a little bit. If you've been to Target, you've probably seen a, a few Christmas things sneaking into the, what's it, the bullseye spot, the dollar spot, whatever the hell that little section is at the front, um, has been like half Halloween, half Christmas for a little bit. And that's how I'm feeling. I'm feeling half Halloween, half Christmas. I, I don't know if like it's burnout that I just need the the comfort and ease and brainlessness that is Hallmark Christmas and horror. But that is where I have been this past week. I'm not watching a whole lot of TV. I'm caught up on all my regular shit, but like it's it's not stuff that like I'm I'm finding the need to really talk about or discuss or go in depth about because I'm just kind of watching things that are entertaining me and that's what I need right now. And this week I mostly spent Literally, this past weekend, I would watch a Hallmark Christmas movie and then a horror movie. So this weekend, or this podcast episode, rather, I... Can you tell I'm tired also? (laughs) I'm going to be talking about something horror and something holiday. So, So you get an even split because, again, I know this episode is releasing on Halloween. But, like, for me, Christmas starts when Hallmark Countdown to Christmas starts. So I've literally already started listening to Christmas music and decorating for the holidays. But then also, like... I was I, I literally put up some Christmas decorations as I was watching Barbarian this weekend, the horror movie that just came out on HBO and HBO Max. So my brain is confused, but that's okay. So this week on the podcast, I'm going to be discussing American Horror Story, and I'm going to start my Countdown to Christmas recommendations. But before then, because no one on the internet can shut the fuck up about this Jeffrey Dahmer series on Netflix. I think every episode that I have done since this goddamn TV show has come out, I have talked about Dahmer. Um, so I've still not finished it. I still have, I probably will never finish it. I have no desire, but piggybacking off of a story from a couple of weeks ago, um, where Ryan Murphy and Ian Falchuk, or Ian Brennan and Brad Falchuk, rather, were accused by uh, Gen Z on the internet and also by some of Dahmer's victims' families of being insensitive and profiting off of these murders and glorifying or glamorizing his killing, Dahmer's killing spree, which, like, again, so wild to me that people think that anything related to true crime is glamorizing anything, I'd, whatever. So it came out this week, Ryan Murphy did an interview and basically hit back at all those people and said, over the course of developing this series, we reached out to the victims' families. We tried to get their perspective and their input, and we tried to garner research and get their, you know, their feelings, and no one responded. So that, okay. Um, I'm, I'm of two minds here. One, I feel like if you reach out to, he said, 20 victims' families. If you reach out to the families of 20 victims and they do not respond, or if you, maybe it's not 20 victims, it's 20 friends and families of, I don't know. Anyway, 20 people. There's a a number 20. (laughs) If you reach out to 20 people over the course of three years while you are writing and researching and planning and making this TV show, and none of them respond to you, that should be a clue that they do not want to talk about this event, nor do they want the event's back out in the public eye. Not that it ever left the public eye, but in a more central part of the public eye. But also, so much of the criticism against Ryan Murphy was that he wasn't considering the victims, was that he was re-traumatizing the victims, was that... um, they're making money off the tragedy that and like one of them, um, the one that made everyone really upset was uh, 
Rita Isbell, whose brother Errol was one of the people murdered by Dahmer, who gave this interview with Insider that kind of sparked this whole outrage, specifically said that, quote, I was never contacted by the show. I feel like Netflix should have asked if we mind or how we felt about making it. They didn't ask me anything. They just did it. End quote. This directly refutes that and basically says, well, you're lying. Check your voicemail or whatever that he actually did. He and his people, Ryan Murphy's production company, did reach out and try to get their input and to see how they feel. And so like, okay, well, if the whole if this whole hullabaloo and the whole root of like I don't know, people wanting to censor Jeffrey Dahmer's name and Kesha's music and shit comes from this idea that one person said we were never contacted and we were never asked how we feel. Well, that's, according to Ryan Murphy now, not true. He did contact them. So, like, is it skeezy? Yeah. But also, you're lying. So, I don't... It adds another really, it's not, I was going to say interesting. It's not that fucking interesting. But like the fact that this conversation is continuing to be had is just making more people talk about it and more people watch this goddamn show. So like if you don't want people to watch it, stop fucking talking about it. Families of Jeffrey Dahmer's victims. But also then like it's now become a thing. Right? Like, it's now a thing that Ryan Murphy is promoting American Horror Story or The Watcher or whatever the hell else he's promoting from his production company. Like, they're about to go into production on the second season of Feud. So he's gonna, so every time he's gonna be doing press for something else, because this was made into such a big deal, it's going to be a thing that he's going to be asked, he's going to be talked about, and it's going to follow him now, and it's going to keep this story and this thing that the victims and families want avoided in everyone's mouths, on the internet, in the news, and it's inevitably going to be drawing more attention to the series that you don't want people watching because you don't want to... Pro- like, it's a stupid, vicious cycle that I don't know how to break. <laughs> how do we break? I, I, I don't know. But... That as a follow-up, I found, I mean, Ryan Murphy, I feel like, is maybe not the greatest dude in Hollywood. There have been a lot of stories of people who do not like working for him, that he has a bit of a white savior attitude. That's I don't think that's anyone's direct words. That's my interpretation of, of these things. Like, with the whole Janet Mock thing with the end of Pose, where she, like, you know, had her meltdown at uh, the season three premiere, I think it was. Um, that he maybe is not always, like, he maybe has the best intentions, but is maybe lacking in how he goes about executing those intentions. And I think that's going to be said for a lot of people that we're trying to fix things, but, like, you know, he can, he is a white man in power. Yes. And he can try to fix things by bringing in diverse voices to the room to tell the story. But the bottom line is his story is being told because he is a white man. He may be a gay white man. He may be the quote unquote gay white man because he's the one that they're giving all of this money and shit to, to tell these stories. But at the end of the day, like with Pose, with um, American Horror Story, this current season that we're going to talk about and others, with these shows that give space and voice to disenfranchised people like trans people, especially trans women of color, to homosexual and bisexual and trans and non-binary people, whether they be white or not, um, whether it just be two women. You know, like there are, he tells stories that maybe women could tell better, but he's getting the space to tell it when they're not. And I don't think that he's ever shied away from handing over the reins of directing and writing his shows to women and to these diverse and minority voices. So like he's trying, yes, but I also don't get the sense that he's the best person in Hollywood. So, you know, like he said, even in this interview about the victims that he would be happy to pay for a memorial or something. And it's like, that's a little bit pandering. Like, I don't know. He's still profiting, but then be like, oh, but I'll give you, I'll give you a piece of the pie when like the pie is theirs to begin with kind of idea. I don't know. 
I'm talking in circles. Regardless, just to follow up there on Jeffrey Dahmer. The other news story, not on Jeffrey Dahmer, on the Jeffrey Dahmer series. The other news story this week is just a couple of cancellations. One is that The Love Boat, which aired, I think, two episodes on CBS and was like a, a reality dating series version of the 1980s Love Boat series, hosted by Jerry O'Connell and Rebecca Romaine, lasted two episodes and has now been shipped, haha, off to Paramount+. Plus. I saw the trailer for the show and I just want to interject really quick with a bit of a soapbox moment. I saw the trailer for the show and it came out the same week that a bunch of people on social media were losing their minds over the Hallmark Channel doing a gay-centric Christmas movie starring Jonathan Bennett, which is going to be coming out in December. And people were losing their minds over it. They were so pissed off. And like that Hallmark is trying to destroy family values and, you know, take Christ out of Christmas and all that usual bullshit that whatever. But the fact that this trailer came out that same week, I was just so annoyed because I watched it and like there are a million fucking TV shows like The Real Love Boat, like The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, um, I don't, I mean, I'm sure there's Love After Lockup. There's a million Love Island, Fuckboy Island. Like, there are a million reality dating shows where straight people, pretty much exclusively straight people, go on TV and make absolute asses of themselves in the name of entertainment and to like find quote unquote true love when all they're doing is getting naked and fucking in public and like demeaning what it means to actually date and to forge connections and to have like, they're just doing this for attention. It's a reality TV show. And the fact that like dozens and dozens of these kinds of embarrassing shows where again, pretty much exclusively heterosexual people go on TV and make absolute fools of themselves in the name of finding love can exist. But one out of 40-something Hallmark Christmas movies features gay people and suddenly the fabric of society is being torn apart. So I was just annoyed that the show existed and that it came out in that same week. I was like, this has to be like the universe playing a joke. And... Jokes on them, it got canceled after two episodes and will now be airing on Paramount+. Plus. The other cancellation this week was Nancy Drew, which is uh, currently filming, I believe, its fourth and now final season on The CW. Um, this was not surprising in a lot of ways. One, because if you've ever watched Nancy Drew, you know that it's not that great. <laughs> I've talked about it on the podcast before. I do watch it, but I literally, this past third season, have no idea what it was about. Like, I watched the whole thing, gun to my head, could not tell you a single thing that happened. So that's that. But um it's it's being canceled and what is what some what's being reported is half truth. Like I also mentioned this a while ago that the CW is being acquired by a new company. So it's going it's being bought by Nexstar, which is based I believe in Texas and is like a conglomerate of local affiliate stations. Like if you're in, you know, Philly, New Jersey, like PIX11 and uh, My7 and those kinds of networks um, are local affiliates. And the CW broadcasts on a local affiliate. So basically like this, the CBS and WB bought space from these affiliates and then airs their content on it. And Nexstar is going to continue that, but it's going to focus more on the affiliates audiences rather than on like programming from a CBS studio slash WB perspective. And that's like a really complicated way of saying that this, these new owners of the CW are going to be canceling most of the programming and changing basically the entire format of the network. And that's going to include targeting a new demographic that is older. So what I found fascinating, and again, I, I think I reported on this on the podcast a while ago, is that the CW's average viewer who watches this, this station live as it's airing is 58, which considering what the CW airs was wild to me. Like, I can't picture people who are like almost my parents' age watching Batwoman and The Flash and Nancy Drew 
and what else? All-American and Superman and Lois. Like, I just can't picture them sitting down to watch that. But I guess they do because they're waiting for, like, their local news or whatever. Um, so, but with the CW, with their online streaming, their CW app, which you can watch without a cable login, which is pretty revolutionary. And I, I think they're the only network that does that. Um, they attract a very young audience with their streaming platform. So whereas like the person watching TV on the CW Live is in their late 50s, the person watching the CW on their app is in their late 20s, which makes a whole lot more sense of why they're programming things the way they do. Um, but Nexstar is going to, I don't know if they're going to do away with the streaming or they're, or if they're just going to, you know, like focus more on the linear viewing. They are going to start programming more for that person watching live, not for the person streaming, because that's where their profitability, they argue, is going to come in. So basically, they're, they're going to be getting rid of all the CW shows, or at least the ones that they don't think are going to perform well with their target, new target, older audience. So I can imagine like maybe Walker will stick around because that probably appeals to an older audience. Maybe Superman and Lois might stick around for a little bit. But shows like Nancy Drew um, that are very much like a Pretty Little Liars-esque like kind of supernatural mystery series are going to go the wayside. Um, and it leaves a lot of questions up in the air of like what, first of all, the fact that a conservative network like Nexstar can just purchase a fucking network like the C like a broadcast network like the CW is wild but also um it's signaling another big shift in the tides of television in general but especially linear and broadcast TV that I think we're going to start seeing more of these types of um acquisitions these types of big moves being made. Another thing that's been another rumor, but not rumor, just kind of like early rumblings is that ABC, CBS, and NBC may soon be turning over their 10 p.m. hour programming back to local stations. So rather than having the 11 o'clock news, you'll be having the 10 o'clock news on those three stations. Fox already does this and the CW already does this. And that's, it's going to make it cheaper to run these networks because it's going to be, you know, what, six fewer hours to program in a week? Five in some cases, like with NBC having, you know, Sunday Night Football half the year, that kind of thing. And it's, but it's also going to cut down on the type of content and the amount of content we're getting. So we're, we've seen this shift over the years from scripted to unscripted, and the CW is just going to like make that change happen even faster when it's acquired by Nexstar. So we're going to see a lot more shit like what the CW airs on Fridays and Saturdays, things like Masters of Illusion and Penn and Teller Fool Us and uh, World's Funniest Animals and that kind of thing. We're going to be seeing a lot more of that in the next year or so when it comes to, or at the 2023 to 2024, I would imagine, when it comes to the CW. Um, it's a weird, it, it's weird. Cause like I kind of mentioned at the beginning of the episode is that I'm not watching a lot of TV. Uh, one is that I think we're inundated with TV and two is that I think we're inundated with two spectrums. We're either inundated with absolutely fucking mindless garbage, which I can enjoy a lot of the time. Um, or we're being inundated with like the next like Apple TV and Hulu and Netflix and places like that trying to like give us the next prestige television series and HBO places like that. Um, and it's like one or the other. So either you have to really pay attention and want to sit down and commit to like watching an hour a week or whatever to that type of, you know, Handmaid's Tale, Better Call Saul, House of Dragons, uh, White Lotus, that kind of show, or... We're getting a whole bunch of shit like on Discovery Plus and now HBO Max with its, you know, shift in programming to like a bunch of cooking series. And, you know, like Netflix has this new baking show where they make things in easy bake ovens and like nailed it. And I don't know, Christmas cookie showdown and holiday baking championship again, which I love, but like does not require any of our attention at all, you know? You, don't, you can put that on and not pay attention to a single second of it and not miss anything. <laughs> um, 
that's kind of like where we're at with TV right now. And it, it's, it's a little bit exhausting. Like, do I want to watch another Real Housewives this week and watch people's petty bullshit? Because that can get exhausting after a while. Or do I want to like sit down and stare at the TV and be like, do I really need to be trying to focus on something heavier and more metaphorical and that's quote unquote has something to say like, I don't know, like I'm going to watch it like white Lotus or I don't know what the fuck else even is on right now. That is considered like a like a prestige show like, Oh, like severance. Like I watched the first episode of severance on Apple TV and I've never went back because I was so bored Everyone says how good it was. And I watched one episode and I'm like, you're trying too hard. It's weird. It's a weird place to be in. And and that's why I'm kind of just like stuck in the middle and not really doing much when it comes to TV. So this week I'm going to be talking about American Horror Story NYC. And then I'm just going to go right into my recommendation for the first week's movies of Countdown to Christmas. So let's, let's get started. So American Horror Story came back a couple weeks ago. Um, again, with this fight between traditional broadcast and streaming, FX is kind of splitting the difference with the new season of American Horror Story. And instead of like binge dropping all of it on Hulu, they are releasing it linearly and it's airing two episodes a week for five weeks. So over the course of five weeks, we're getting two episodes a week of American Horror Story on Netflix and then it's or on FX and then it's streaming the next day on Hulu. And... American Horror Stories, plural, the spinoff, is an FX on Hulu exclusive. So you can only watch that on Hulu. And uh, American Crime Story, the other Ryan Murphy show on FX, is FX only. And then after the fact, I think, is on Netflix, not on Hulu. So, like, this is kind of the compromise in the middle is, like, I don't know, rather than moving the series exclusively to Hulu, rather than dropping the whole series at once, we're kind of doing both. Like, it's they're promoting it as, like, stream it on Hulu. They're not even saying that it's airing Wednesdays at 10 on FX, even though it is. They're basically, the ads are saying, stream it on Hulu on Thursdays, which is weird. So I think they're kind of weaning themselves off of the linear broadcast model. And for this particular season, I'm on board. Because this is the first season that I have been genuinely interested in. And I don't mean in from like a, this is a really batshit crazy, I need to know what happens next angle. I mean from a storytelling structural uh, thematic angle. I find this intriguing, the overall story this season. Um As in with past seasons, they kept the theme under wraps, and even when they did release it, the subtitle is just NYC. That could mean a billion things, obviously, especially with American Horror Story. I mean, take your pick of what the horror in New York City could be, right? Like, we could have a whole fucking season about, like, mutant sewer rats, about 9-11, about entire decades, about Rudy Giuliani. You know, like, it could go anywhere, right? Um... But it's actually a period piece that is taking place so far, we're four episodes in, in 1981. And it's basically about the horrors of being queer in New York in the 80s. Which, as you know, I love some gay shit. So I am here for this. It's kind of like a spiritual successor in a lot of ways to what Ryan Murphy has been doing in the past few years. It is a little bit pose. It is a little bit the normal heart. It is a little bit, um, oh my God, why did it just fly out of my head? What was the other, the last season of American Horror Story? Red Tide, Jesus. Uh, The one that took place in Provincetown. It is, it's kind of a culmination, I think, in a lot of ways for, this this uh this this thematic idea that Ryan Murphy has been running with of like queer fear in a lot of ways and this is like the ultimate version of it so basically this season is following a, a large group of queer people who are related and not who are all kind of bound together by 
by um, by the idea of their of their sexuality and or gender identity. Um, and it's a it's a big cast of characters of people that Ryan Murphy's worked with before, people he hasn't. But like, it's not a lot of the regulars. There's no Evan Peters because he was doing Dahmer. There's no Sarah Paulson. Um, there's no Emma Roberts. There's no Jessica Lange. There's no Finn Wittrock. There's no Lily Rabe, Rob, however you say her name. Um, a lot of, there's no Francis Mc... Whichever one with the milky eye. I am so sorry. Uh, there's... There's no... There's none of these usual... You know, Ryan Murphy standbys, which, speaking of, I can't believe I forgot to mention this in the news section. Rest in peace, fucking Leslie Jordan. Oh, my God. He was so great on American Horror Story, but, like, just in general, was such an amazing person and spread so much positivity and light in the world. And I'm so happy that while he was here, we celebrated him, and he knew how appreciated he was, especially with his hunker downers how y'all doing videos in during the pandemic i'm so glad that he knew how much joy he brought to people while he was alive because he really did um i mentioned last week with the james corden thing that we hear so many stories of celebrities being fucking awful people and we don't hear a lot of stories of celebrities being great people and leslie jordan across the board from everyone who's worked with him that i've seen and from my own personal experience was a lovely human being I met him in Provincetown, speaking of American Horror Story, Red Tide, um, maybe three or four years ago. He was doing his, I've seen him in live a few times, but I met him in Provincetown when he was doing his one-man show at the Crown and Anchor. And he just was like walking around town and he's walking down Commercial Street. And obviously you know who he is. He's hard to miss because he's so small, but had such, like he radiates, right? Um, and some, you know, some guy walking down the street was like, hey, Leslie. And he like stopped in his tracks, like, hey, queen, how you doing? You coming to see my show tonight? And the guy was like, oh, no, sorry, we have plans. And he stops in his tracks and goes, well, then it's Mr. Jordan to you. And I happened to be walking by and I stopped. I was like, hi, Mr. Jordan, I'm coming to see your show tonight. Like just kind of joking. And he looked and he was like, well, darling, you can call me Leslie. And he gave me a hug. Um, and we chatted for a few minutes. Um, you know, just like stupid shit. I'm like, what? Why are you just walking down the street? And he was like, what the hell else do you do in Provincetown? It's so much quicker than getting a ride. I'm like, I mean, true, but like you're you're you sold out the crown and anchor. Like he's like, well, I love the attention. You know, he like it was just it was he was everything you want a celebrity to be, that he was just funny and warm. And he like I said, he gave me a hug, and this was oh, this was pre-COVID, I think, regardless. Um and he was just such a sweetheart and he made sure that he stopped everyone that talked that wanted to talk to him he talked to and he talked to everyone after the show when they came to see him and he was just he was so he was a lovely person and I'm very sad that he is gone rest in peace Leslie Jordan okay back on track American Horror Story so NYC um is about the horrors of being gay in America, in particular the 1980s. So basically this is about all the things that are trying to kill gay people, and in particular gay men in New York in the 80s. We have Billy Lord, who is playing a doctor and a scientist who's discovered a new virus on Fire Island that is killing gay men. AIDS, maybe, or is it something else? Could be, we don't, it's American Horror Story, who fucking knows. Then we also have um, a serial killer targeting gay men in bathhouses and leather bars dressed as a leather daddy. He's called Big Daddy on the, on the show. We also have another killer who is targeting gay men, um, and they're calling him on the show the Mai Tai Killer. But he's based on, I believe, The Last Call Killer, which I just read a book about this summer called Last Call by Elon Green, which was very interesting. I highly recommend. And it was about a killer who was operating in the 80s and 90s in New York. And he basically would go to like these little known um, gay bars and target men who were there at Last Call who he would like watch and didn't have people who'd be looking for them and or who were closeted. And then he would like throw their bodies out 
in the trash on like nowhere near New York City, like along the New Jersey and Pennsylvania turnpikes. So that like for years he was operating as a serial killer of gay men and no one really knew because they weren't connecting the dots because the victims were closeted. So they weren't tying them all together to these to these gay bars, basically. Anyway, he's another character. And then we have just like the general malaise of the government. Sandra Bernhardt plays a lesbian activist who says that she has... Um, inside information that this virus that Billy Lord's character found may be um, unleashed by the U.S. government. We have Zachary Quinto playing a character who is like an Andy Warhol kind of type where he throws parties but is also a sexual sadist and keeps men locked in cages and like maybe there's something there as well. And then we just have like the general, the police who aren't actively murdering gay men, but are just letting them die because they don't fucking care. So like, it's just, it's, it's about the oppressiveness of New York in general, but especially as being queer. There was in the episode four, I think it was, there was a reference to the upstairs lounge because someone threw Big Daddy, the, threw a Molotov cocktail into a gay bar and lit it on fire. So we have all these references, the last call killer, the upstairs lounge, to like real traumatic mass murder events against gay men. I'm really hoping they don't go the pulse route anytime soon. Um, what was I saying? <laughs> um, these events, these historical events that um, have targeted in particular gay men, The and it's, it's a lot about how people just don't care, including a lot of the gay men, um, that they're just going about their lives as if these things aren't happening. Um, the police aren't helping and it's really coming down to like queer media to get the word out. But then we're also kind of contending with the idea of the closet as something that oppresses and can kill gay men. Um, this idea of like, one of the characters, Patrick, who is played by Russell Tovey, who I love, um, has an ex-wife who suspects that, played by Leslie Grossman, a, a American horror story regular, who thinks that he might be Big Daddy because he's into leather. So this idea of like stereotypes um, can can get lead to oppression or maybe not oppression, but suspicion and things like that. And it's just it's it's very it's thematically very interesting because basically this whole season is like it's like we're watching batman <laughs> go with me on this metaphor it's like watching batman when the rogues gallery is released from arkham asylum that's what it's like where it's not just batman versus joker it's batman versus joker and riddler and catwoman and etc etc that like all these supervillains are kind of ganging up against the hero and in this case the hero is like the queer community. It's it's mostly Russell Tovey and Joe Mantello um, playing a, a couple who Russell Tovey is a now out police officer who's trying to do right by the community he's now a part of. And Joe Mantello runs The Native, which is, what is the magazine it's based off of? The Voice? The Village Voice, maybe? I forget what the queer magazine was in the 80s. It might be The Voice. Um, where he's like, you know, basically sounding the alarm on all of these things himself because no one else wants to help. And like, they're the heroes and they're up against two serial killers, the US government, the police themselves. Like it's, everyone is a villain. That's the point of this season is that everyone is out to get the queer community. And like that can seem heavy handed, but speaking from experience, it's not exactly a lie. And it's not exactly, um, an exaggeration in a lot of cases like in the 80s at the height of the AIDS epidemic the the vast majority of these gay men lost everything they lost their families at some point because of their sexuality 
they lost, in a lot of cases, they were closeted, so they were in relationships with women previously and maybe had children. Most of them, you know, they would have lost that relationship, friends, children, families. Um, they literally lost friends and loved ones to the virus. They could not go to the police for help. They could not go to the government for help because Reagan was ignoring shit. Um, the mayor of New York was ignoring shit. They couldn't go to the church because to, because they were banned in a lot of cases. They Church wasn't performing funerals for them. That they had nowhere to go. And I feel like a broken record talking about this. You know, like when I talked about It's a Sin last year and The Normal Heart and like, but the point is these stories need to be told because we're coming back around to these ideas. Election week is next week. Election day is next week. And I need you all to vote because things like these policies that are going to protect people like me, like these characters, are literally on the ballot. There are politicians running across the country on very explicitly and violently anti-LGBT platforms. Um, banning drag queen story hour. Uh, trying to reverse the Supreme Court's decision on Obergefell and legalizing same-sex marriage, denying trans people health care, denying trans children access to mental health care, to gender support, to hormones, and um, to 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 medical doctors who can advise and health profession and mental health professionals who can help them in their transition, puberty blockers, things like that, denying. Um, workers who are LGBT healthcare in the workplace and even jobs in a lot of states like you can be fired or not hired because of your sexuality we are cracking down across the board in board of educations against LGBT curriculums um it's happening right now around us constantly even in places you may not suspect it i am very close to princeton and outside of Princeton, Lawrence Township, there was a board meeting a couple of weeks ago with parents demanding that their students not be taught LGBT history, which is literally part of the New Jersey state curriculum. And this shit is happening. So seeing shows like this where everyone is against us, it's not incorrect. It may feel heavy-handed to cishet people because you or they may not be used to hearing this constantly you'd be sick of hearing it constantly but you all are the reason we need to hear it because you all have the power to help us and that is what so far a lot of this american horror story nyc is about is finding those people who are going to help and putting the pressure on them but then also understanding that they are very few and far between and at the end of the day, so many people are just out for themselves, including people within our own queer community, because you have to be. You know, there, Dennis O'Hare plays a character um, who doesn't want to go public, even though he knows about the Mai Tai killer on the show, because he doesn't want to be outed. He doesn't want his name associated with that. Patti Lapone plays a cabaret singer who owns bathhouses but doesn't want the attention because attention brings police, which cuts down on the money the bathhouse is bringing in, which upsets her investors, which is the mob. It's implied, at least. It's... It's every man for himself in a lot of ways, or a person for themselves in a lot of ways on this show. And it's just, it's so interesting. And I don't find it particularly horrifying or scary, but I find it horrifying in, uh, this is our history and it's not even that fucking far removed. I, one of my, one of the people I talk to constantly every week, my friend Kevin, who lives in Oklahoma, is in his mid fifties and lived through this era. And is not far removed from it. Lost lots and lots of friends to the virus. And now is like living through a point where younger people don't even know about AIDS. Because to them it's like undetectable is untransmissible. And it's like, oh, if I get HIV, I just go on a pill for the rest of my life. And it's it's fucking wild. Um, so I find that horrifying. Not so much what's happening on screen, but like... Also, there's a lot of gore in the first episode, dismembered body parts and all that kind of stuff. It's not like it's, you know, straying far from the American horror story of yore. But so far, it's also not like batshit crazy paranormal stuff. 
it is real horror. And to me, that's always scarier than like the vampires in American Horror Story Hotel or like the pill they took in Red Tide to, you know, that turned them into either, you know, blood eaters or, you know, the the zombie vampire thingies or the aliens in Double Feature or in Asylum. Like, that's okay, whatever. But like none of that, the actual horror of these seasons has always been the metaphorical part of it. And in this season, they're making the metaphor and they're just grounding it as well. And the cast, like I've been mentioning, is wonderful. Uh, it's it's not the Sarah Paulsons, the Evan Peters, those type of folks, but it's Russell Tovey, who you will probably recognize from other things like looking on HBO and uh, the History Boys and... Uh, Quantico on ABC. He's been in a whole bunch of shit. Uh, Joe Mantello, double Emmy Award nominee for Hollywood, Ryan Murphy's Netflix show, and The Normal Heart, and a double uh, Tony Award winner. Billy Lord is there. Dennis O'Hare, Tony and Emmy winner. I think he has an Emmy, at least a nominee. Uh, Charlie Carver from The Leftovers. Leslie Grossman from American Horror Story past season. Sandra Bernhardt, a legendary off-Broadway performer. Isaac Powell, who was in double feature... uh, whatever the alien one was last year and also has been on Broadway in Once on This Island and West Side Story. Zachary Quinto, who is back since for the first time since Asylum. Patty Lupon, again. Uh, who else is on? Cal Penn. Kumar from Harold and Kumar and also, you know, who worked with the Obama administration. And Gideon Glick, who was on the other two and is a Broadway actor. N- uh, Nico Greetham from American Horror Stories and The Prom is going to be making appearances. So, like, it's a really great cast, and the queer parts are played by queer actors. I love that. And it just, it has a very, to me, different feel so far than the other seasons of American Horror Story. It 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 doesn't feel like an American Horror Story, and that's the highest compliment I think that I can give this show. Because it doesn't feel like we've... That's a lot of my issue with the show with American Horror Story in past seasons is that they throw so much shit at the wall just to see what sticks that it ends up nothing sticks. And it just becomes very over the top and ridiculous. And that's not what this is. And it's being very divisive. Some people are really into it, like me. Some people are hating it. But I personally am real invested in this season and for the first time in a long time and really excited to see what happens on American Horror Story, which is airing... Two episodes a night for the next uh, three weeks on Wednesdays on FX at 10 o'clock. And then also streaming Thursdays on Hulu. Okay. My recommendation for the week, we are back to Countdown to Christmas. And my week one, the recommendation is um, we wish you a married Christmas. (laughs) Uh, Classically stupid Hallmark title. I love it. Um, The first weekend Hallmark Countdown to Christmas movies are typically not very good. I'm going to throw that out there. One reason is that they tend to be acquisitions, meaning that like Hallmark's development team did not make these movies. They were made by outside studios and Hallmark bought them. And that is the case with the very first movie of the year that aired last Friday, uh, Noel Next Door, which stars Corey Sevier and Natalie Hall, both of whom have been in Hallmark movies and projects before, but this movie was not made by Hallmark. And the reason they usually air them first is that they're already done when they buy them, so they can just throw them on the air. And also with the Hallmark, the first week Hallmark movies, they tend to like make a statement, either like during the Bill Abbott years, it tended to be the ones that are like the most Christmas. Like I remember the year that Christmas Wishes and Mistletoe Kisses aired, which still after all these years, worst title. Um, And it basically like Christmas threw up on these movies. It was bombarding you with Christmas spirit and cheer and like event, like the movie was basically just wall to wall standard Hallmark Christmas. We're going to decorate cookies. We're going to decorate a tree. We're going to throw a party. We're going to see Christmas lights everywhere. We're going to turn a Grinch's heart to, um, it's going to grow three sizes, that whole thing. Or as it has in the past couple of years, they're making a statement in what their thesis is going to be for the year. And that like, this is not the hallmark of your, this is going, why am I obsessed with that phrase this week of your, this is not the hallmark you're used to that we're, we're changing, we're growing. And this particular year, I don't know if this is on purpose or if I'm just reading too much into it, but I feel like was a slap in the face to Bill Abbott who left Hallmark and went to GAC, Great American 
Great American, it's not Christmas, Great American Channel, Great American Country, something like that. And he's now making movies with like Candace Cameron Bure, who can eat my entire asshole, and like Jen Lilly and Danica McKellar and a few others. Regardless, he's taking his format of Hallmark movies as they used to be, like I just mentioned, to GAC. And now Hallmark is growing and changing and like embracing diversity and inclusivity and all that shit. So this first week, Noel Next Door featured a single man who had a stroke and uses a cane who drinks alcohol, shocking, and a single mom going through a divorce whose ex-husband is a dickhead, meeting and falling in love. That doesn't happen on the old Hallmark. No one drinks. No one gets divorced. It's wild. And then We Wish You a Married Christmas comes out. And this is my recommendation for the week of all of them. This is the one I want you to watch. It also flies in the face of the traditional Hallmark because this is a married couple whose marriage is on the rocks. They don't spend enough time together. They're ignoring each other. They need a pick-me-up. They need a, 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 a jolt to their marriage. So they're in therapy. Guys, therapy? Hallmark is acknowledging that people go to therapy. What hell has frozen over? The sun is falling out of the sky as we speak. Um, so their therapist suggests that they go away for the weekend to, or for Christmas, I, don't, I forget which, to like this little teeny town called Gracious Vermont, because of course it's Vermont. Um, and they need to like stop working while they're there and like really focus on each other. And the couple was played by Marisol Nichols, who was um, Veronica's mother, Hermione, on Riverdale and also was in Christmas CEO last year on Hallmark. And her husband is Christopher Palaha, who I feel like I've sung his praises before, is just one of my favorite Hallmark actors. I've loved him for almost decades at this point. I first fell in love with him physically because he is very attractive when he was on True Calling back in 2004 or five with Eliza Dushku. And he played her teacher and was having an affair with her. And he was in, like, three episodes, and he got murdered. Uh, loved him on that. Thought he was so cute. Then he went on to North Shore on Fox, which lasted one season, but I watched all of because he was so cute. Then he was on Life Unexpected on CW, which I think might have lasted two seasons, which I also loved. Again, so handsome, so cute. And now he does Hallmark movies. And typically, he, like, has a very suave, charming, like, easy Elvisy kind of vibe. But also, he's, like, I'm pretty sure he's, yeah, Palaha. He's Hawaiian, so he has, like, that, like, chill kind of vibe as well. And he's just so fucking hot. Oh, I love him. Anyway, and he's such a, and he's a nice person. Um, with, like, we've gone back and forth on Twitter a few times, and he's just, he's very nice. Anyway, they play a married couple, and they go to this inn, and guys... Not only are they a married couple whose marriage is on the skids in therapy, they go to this inn and it's run by gay people. Gay people. Gay people in a Hallmark movie. Again, the fabric of society is being torn to shreds with this one singular movie. And then it just becomes like while they're there, you know, like they they start to reconnect and they start doing these like silly small town Christmas things like there's an alpaca farm and they start sending alpaca grams and um, I don't know like baking and you know getting lured into like throwing Christmas parties with the inn and like all kinds of shit like that and uh, they're forced to stay there for a while because a giant Christmas ornament falls in their car and they have to get it repaired and it's just it's very silly and fun and then you know they start to reconnect and like there's some really sweet moments like at one point um, we, the husband, Christopher, I, I don't remember their names and why would I, uh, Christopher Palaha, uh, tells his, tells Marisol Nichols that he's taken, um, a cooking class. And she's like, well, why didn't you tell me that? That's, uh, that would have been nice to know. And he's like, I did it because I wanted to surprise you and cook you a nice dinner because you work so hard. And I was like, okay, so like, why are you all in therapy? Like, why can't you just tell each other you're doing these nice things for each other? It was so cute. And then, like, it, I mean, spoiler, it's a fucking Hallmark Christmas movie. There's no such thing. But still, you find out at the end that the whole fucking town was in on it and basically was trapping them there so they could fall back in love. <laughs> just, just so stupid and funny. Um, because it happens to another couple. And it's just, it's it's an adorably dumb movie. As if you couldn't tell from the title, We Wish You a Married Christmas. And I very much enjoyed it. But again, you really, you can't go wrong with the Hallmark Christmases. Um, I love them. Again, they're brainless. They're so stupid. And oh, they're just so 
comforting and warm and cute. And like I said, this past weekend, I was alternating between watching those and watching horror shit, like American Horror Story I caught up on. And I watched Barbarian on HBO Max, which, like, if you're looking for a Halloween recommendation, I hated it, but it is weird and creepy. So, like, that's new if you want to check that out. Uh, But also, if you really want a Halloween recommendation, I have not seen it yet, but I saw the first one. Terrifier 2 is coming to Screambox, which is a streaming service you can download right now that is free with ads. Screambox. And it's going to be airing there as of today when this podcast releases. And it's that it's the movie you may have heard about in the news. That's, uh, it comes with a barf bag when you go to see it in theaters. And it's been causing people to like pass out and they need to call ambulances because people like, get, are getting arrhythmia and shit. Because there is just so much gore and intensity that... Uh, people were like literally passing out and hyperventilating and like throwing up and having to leave the theater and getting lightheaded and shit. So like I'm excited to watch that. That's gonna be my Monday on Halloween viewing. Um, but this is a countdown to Christmas recommendation because we're currently in week two. Week two just ended, but I'm obviously a week behind. I don't record these in the middle of the night, so I have not watched all the weekend movies. So from week one, my recommendation is we wish you a married Christmas. Uh, Coming up next week, week two, we have a Jodie Sweetin movie. Um, There's also a movie about a a vet or guy in the army, because of course, and um, another one about that's a retelling of A Christmas Carol, because we need one of at least one of those every year. Uh, So that's what you have to look forward to. I'll be recommending one of those next week. Okay, let's go through the uh, finales and premieres. So premieres on Monday, Netflix has Inside Man, which is like a David Tennant uh, miniseries that's airing, um, dropping all on Monday. On Tuesday, Bravo is introducing the newest Below Deck franchise, which is called Below Deck Adventure, and it takes place in Norway, which like I'm excited to finally see a Below Deck in cold weather. That's going to be fun. Um, on Thursday, Netflix is releasing Blockbuster, which has been getting a lot of social media traction, starring Randall Park, which is about the last Blockbuster in America. That's a comedy. And then HBO Max is releasing uh, the first episode of season four of DC's Titans. On Friday, Apple TV has the second season of The Mosquito Coast, which, like, did anyone even watch the first season? Unclear. Netflix has Buying Beverly Hills, which I think is, like, kind of a spinoff of Selling Sunset. Manifest season four, the final season, the first part, first 10 episodes released on Friday as well. And then NBC's Comedy Block debuts with uh, the third season of The Young Rock and the new George Lopez sitcom Lopez vs. Lopez. Then on Sunday, again, it is November, so uh, Food Network is kicking it into high gear with the Christmas Cookie Challenge. Uh, Dangerous Liaisons begins on Stars, which is like a new adaptation of the, you know, the, is it a book? Play? I think it's a, whatever. That's on Stars. The third season of Family Karma debuts on Bravo. And then because of the World Series this week, uh, Fox is airing new episodes of The Mass Singer and Lego Masters on Sunday, November 6th to make up for missing Sunday or Wednesday, November 2nd. Finales, Halloween Baking Championship ends tonight, Monday. Unsolved Mysteries releases its final batch of episodes. And Ink Master and Married to Medicine also end their current seasons. Okay, that's it for this week. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. I'll be back next week with more recaps, more reviews, more analyses, and more recommendations. Happy Halloween and Merry Christmas, everyone!